I want to continue with my series, and who knows what the series is. Faith matters. How much does the faith in you matter? And that's important, and we see very clearly. And as I was going through this uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews, I learned something. And it's good, my dear sister Margaret, that you gave this young man or promised him a Bible. And this word of God is so important. He can change, or the word of God can change people's lives. And this morning I want to speak Faith Matters Part 12. And I'm going to read Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt. That refers to Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And that's wonderful. Faith sees that what is unseen. Isn't it wonderful? I believe in a God who is unseen, but one day I will see him. And it's wonderful. So our dear sister, Kara, she posted something. Who got it, what she posted recently? We got it. Anybody else? Yes? What did she post? Sister Kara, I'm talking about your back, or behind your back. You posted something around, and I must say, this is something wonderful. That is not fantasy or fantastic, right? This is something very clear, being set by a scientist. And that is this, that all the marvelous things and the gems in the New Jerusalem are so wonderful, and all the gems we know here on earth, they are just rubbish against that. Now God, when he built, the, or is going to build the new Jerusalem, it will be marvelous, hallelujah. God is not just from yesterday, who doesn't know anything. He is from eternity, amen, eternity who is able to explain this word eternity, that it might go into our little brain box up here with 250 grams of gray mass. Who is able to explain it to us? And that's what our dear sister posted. If you haven't read it, read it. That's wonderful. That all the things God built in New Jerusalem off, these are Precious stone, they are light and can receive light. And also light can go through. How marvelous will that be in eternity? Not only that, the thing is that the shape of all these things, they are so wonderful, they fit into each other. You know, even a speck of dust or anything of any uh, precious stone 
under a microscope, I think 7,700 times magnified. They look like a, a ball. And how can you work something? Build a house with all balls. Now look at the walls here. All these stones and bricks fit into each other. But the wonderful gems God has built the new Jerusalem with, they are not balls. They would fall apart. But they all fit into each other. Interesting, interesting. Now, I want to preach about the word of God. Moses, he was full of faith. And by faith, he left Egypt. We read about it. Not fearing the king. And we see him. There are three steps Moses went through in his life. These three steps are very important. And we need these three steps as well. First, converted. Moses got converted. And you want to know where his conversion and when his conversion to God came about? When he said, no longer, I just don't want to be called a son of the daughter of Pharaoh. No longer, he turned around. And conversion is 180 degrees, a real U-turn. You know, you have not here in Melbourne, but in city, often many, many places. If you want to do a U-turn, as you can do it here almost freely in Melbourne, and you know in Sydney you can't do U-turns like here. You can get booked by it. All right. Now we see here a real conversion is a U-turn. And that's what Moses experienced, a U-turn. And that's what everyone must experience. You must be born again. Not is an option, no way. You must, and when God said must, it must. I can't explain it any way differently. When God said you must be born again, then it has to be. Now Moses experienced a wonderful conversion. He turned around, no longer the old way, no longer a son of the daughter of Pharaoh, Tammuthus. I want to be called. Moses had a real conversion, and that's important. Also, we must experience a real conversion, not becoming religious. Religion is garbage. You know what religion means. Religion is not believing in Jesus Christ. Some people call me, yeah, you are religious. No. I am not religious. You have got an unreligious pastor here. Hallelujah. Is it good? Or do you like me to be religious? No way. I have turned away. I have turned around 180 degrees. A U-turn. And you allowed it. When Moses believed and understood, I don't want to be any longer being called a son of the daughter of Pharaoh. Remember, for him, there was a very major step. Everyone respected Moses in Egypt. 
wherever he was, people stood straight and looked at him and perhaps lifted up their hands, I don't know. They gave him some honor. But when he turned away, he left Egypt by faith. And that was so important. Now, what happened to Moses? One thing is important. He looked for his brothers. Now, where were his brothers? Where were they? They were not in Egypt, of course. They lived in Egypt yet. But it was, were not the people at Pharaoh's palaces. It was his brothers down there in Goshen, rejected by the Egypts. And the apostle John says something wonderful. And you can read it if you have your Bible. It will be on the overhead. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. So if anybody dies, he doesn't pass from death into life, but he passes from life into death. Now here means the Apostle Paul, uh, John, very clearly, into the life of God. But this we know, that we have passed out of death into life because we, we love the... Can you read it there? Is it up there? No. Then we love the brethren. Hallelujah. We love them. There is a pull to the church, to the brethren. And where this pull to the brethren is missing, I ask myself and question whether you're born again at all. There must be a pull to your brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. And by this we know, the apostle John says, because we love the brethren. Who is happy to be here this morning? I. Why? Because you, my brothers and sisters, the brethren are here. And the fellowship with you is something wonderful. Now Moses, all of a sudden, he developed a love for the Hebrews. He wanted to be with them. And that's why it's important what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says. Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Some people, and that was what the apostle who wrote, actually Hebrew pastor, Gary believes it was Paul. Wasn't it what you said once, or believed once? Yes? Okay. So there's an assembly going to come. And this word, I looked it up in Greek, it's very interesting. It's not just coming together like this. There is going to be an assembly very, very, very soon. Now listen, because he says, why should we not leave the assembly? Why? Because the coming of the Lord is soon. It has to do something with the coming of the Lord. And 
interesting to understand is this. He is not talking about an assembly like we are here this morning. He is talking about an assembly in respect of the return of Christ. I tell you what, the next great events that might happen very soon, I don't know. It is the return of Jesus Christ and the assembly of the believers unto him actually being called the rapture. That's so important. If you believe in the rapture, this is that what is going to come in the northern hemisphere, in Europe, for instance. You can see something happen about this time. It is slowly getting now, uh, let me say, autumn in Europe, still warm. But one thing you will see at this time in Europe, in the northern hemisphere, all the migrating birds getting together. You know what, what they do? The migrating birds coming together and thousands and thousands on open fields and you hear them, there's a loud sound and the young birds are trying to practicing flying because something great is going to happen. I have watched it many times in Germany. It's loud, loud sound. And all of a sudden, gets quiet. And they all get up, fly in the air. And then it goes. They fly to warmer areas. And that's interesting. They're flying somewhere where it's warmer. Because in Europe, in winter, it gets a little bit colder than here. A little bit. You can have ice and snow. And all and these birds, they said, it gets too cold for me. We are going somewhere else. And I tell you what, there will be soon a very, very great assembly. Now, the Greek word for assembly, here it is, as it is also in 2 Thessalonians, epi-synagogue. That is us gathering together. And that's the same word the apostle uses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and F of our epi-synagogue. That's the word. Is it right, all you Greek in there? Episynagogue. That means the gathering together for what? For one very important thing. The Lord will come and pick us up to better and far for greater things into his presence. And we will be with him there forever. Ever comfort each other with this comfort. Hallelujah. Have you said to your brother Maranatha as yet? That's what you should do when you see each other. Maranatha, the Lord comes. Amen. Hallelujah. And this 
Episynagogue will come soon. And I'm waiting for it. The Lord is coming soon. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, the Bible speaks clearly that Jesus said, I will come back and I will get you there where I am. And where is Jesus? In, in heaven. He is here also through the Spirit of God. But I want to go to heaven one day when the Lord is calling me. And I don't, don't mean when I die. I think I might have said it here once, but I watched it or listened to a tape from uh, David Jeremiah. Anybody heard of him, David Jeremiah? A great, wonderful preacher of God. And he preached about the rapture. And he said something at the end. Very interesting. I rather want to go with the uppertaker than with the undertaker. Do you get it? Do you get it? I rather want to go with the uppertaker, that is Jesus, than with the undertaker. That is, what is that? Undertaker, we know that. You know, who puts you in a hole in the ground. And I waiting for Jesus. Now the throne of God is wonderful. Now I must say, many people who believe in predestination think there are things in the Bible that do not match. But I tell you one thing, and it is this. At the throne of God, you have got no questions anymore. God, why did you do this? Why is this? Why this? Why did you love Jacob and you rejected Esau? Why? I don't know. One thing is the mistake many people who think God prepared everything and nobody has a free choice. No, you have a free choice. And a free choice is come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. At the throne of God, you will have no questions. But he will have plenty of questions to you. And perhaps you will have no answer for it. No answer for it. God, why did you do that? Why was this and that? You know, we all know we have got, or we know a lady, or about a lady in London. And what is she called? That lady in London, in Buckingham Palace. What is she called? The Queen. We have heard about her and seen perhaps her face on TV. What is she actually? Now you don't know, remember the days when Diane, Prince of Wales, died. And people bring, were bringing flowers at the gates of Buckingham Palace. And everybody was asking, where's the queen? Where's the queen? She was not there. And nobody, after one or two days, I don't know, when she came up and saw this mountain of flowers, nobody was asking, 
Her Majesty, where were you? Why didn't you, why didn't you come? Why weren't you here? No word. Because she is sovereign head of the UK and Commonwealth. Do you understand the word sovereign? She doesn't have to explain herself at all. And one thing I learned in Bible college. God is sovereign. Hallelujah. God is sovereign. If he does things, you can't add up in your 250 grain mass up here. It doesn't matter. God is sovereign. You can't change it. You better get used to it. God is sovereign. The earlier, the better. And when I understood, I said, Lord, I haven't got a question or an answer anymore. You are sovereign. Job 38, verses 4 to 7. And that's what God said to Job. Now, Gird your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. God said it a little bit. How could I say? Could any man instruct God? But God is challenging Job. Will you instruct me now? And now ask the, listen to the question God was asking Job because he and his guys and friends who came together, they were looking for a reason. Why is it that Job was suffering so badly? Why is it? Why is it? What is it? And God perhaps was fed up, let me put it this way. So now, Job, I'm going to have a question for you. Can you instruct me about that? And he asked, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The first question, where were you when God laid the foundation of the earth? Answer, he didn't see anything. And the next thing, who set the measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it? Answer, what did Job say? Nada, nothing. He didn't know. He had to understand something, and it is this. God is sovereign. Hallelujah. And that's why I must say things I don't understand, and I don't get together in my little brain. I don't bother about them. One thing I do, I trust God. He is sovereign. Hallelujah. And if it looks to you not fair, as I heard some people say, oh, that's not fair. God is fair and square, amen? He is fair. Everything, and once you're in eternity, you will see things, how they fit together, everything, why it was this way. I couldn't find an answer when I was 11 years old and my father passed away. I loved him so much. I didn't find an answer anywhere. 
but I found the answer in Jesus Christ when I gave my life and when I was 13 years and put my faith in Jesus. Then I knew, hallelujah, I knew it within me. I was blaming the doctors who didn't detect the sickness my father had and he died on it. But now I know through the Spirit and the Word of God, my Father is in heaven and he is waiting for me. Hallelujah. He is waiting for me. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? It's enough for Werner Schultz. And if I don't understand everything in the Bible because God did things because he is sovereign, it doesn't bother me any longer. Or on what were the basis sung? Referring that I continue now from uh, Job, verse 6. On what were its basis sung? Or who laid its cornerstone? There's a question to answer this. Job. He had to say, I put it for him now and I don't know. I don't know. You don't know the will of God and that he is sovereign. The only thing we know the will of God is that you shall be saved and repent of your sin. That's the will of God. Now verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, what does it say there? Do we have it there? Shouted for joy. There was something happening in, the, in eternity. Something happening. They all were shouting. The sons of God were shouting all together. Hallelujah. God is sovereign. And if you didn't understand anything of my preaching this morning, get this in your heart. Once for all, God is sovereign. He doesn't have to explain to you anything. All we need to know is giving us through the word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. And I can believe it. I can believe it. And that's faith. I can believe it. Job had no answer. God gave him just a little few simple questions, weren't they? Weren't they? Just a few little questions. Where were you actually, Job? Where were you? And you couldn't answer anything. God is sovereign. In Psalm 51, verse 4b. And that's what actually David had to confess. David sinned against the Lord and against himself and against the Sheba. And as he, we know Psalm 51 is the repentance psalm of David. And he said, so that you are justified when you speak and be blameless Listen, God is blameless and be blameless 
even when you judge. That's what David in his repentant attitude said very clearly. When you speak, you're justified. Whatever God says, God is justified. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody believes it with me? Amen. God is justified. And even when you judge, we might say, Lord, that's perhaps not fair. Everything God does is fair and square. If it doesn't make square in your box up here, it doesn't matter. But even when you judge, that's what David said. He had to include himself. That means and even if you judge me, I have murdered Isaiah. And I've taken a wife that didn't belong to me. Even if you, you would judge now these things, you are still right. You are blameless. Hallelujah. I don't want to blame God in every, anything. God is sovereign and he, what he does, is right. What we do, I can't say that it's always right. Now, what did God do now with Moses? He left Egypt without fear. But God took him somewhere. He left Egypt. He didn't fear the king's wrath because it got by the time it got known that Moses killed one of the Egypts. And he could have had fear. No, God brought him now because God had a plan with Moses. Amen? And where did he go? To Median. And what did he do in Median? In Median, he studied. And should I say what he studied there? Anybody knows what he studied in Median? Pardon? Yeah, sheepology. Have you heard that word? Word is a new word. He studied sheepology. You know something about sheep? Cute, cute creations, these little sheep. Our son-in-law, he's got little miniature sheep, that big grown. That, they're so cute. They're so cute. But one thing they're missing, they don't have a GPS up here. You know why? They get lost very easy. And that was what Moses had to learn, sheepology. And at the end of his life, we read something beautiful about Moses. Hallelujah. Are you studying sheepology? As a pastor, you have to study sometimes sheepology. You wonder why they hear the word of God every Sunday, every Sunday, and do also even their own things. 
Don't ask for the will of God and the word of God. Sometimes I think I also need to study a little bit more sheepology because they have got no GPS. No GPS. And Isaiah said it very clear. All of us have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, my dear brother Emil. You read it this morning. Hallelujah. Did you know what I was going to preach? No? And through the Spirit, hallelujah. Yes? Why did we go astray? No GPS up here. And now, Moses had to learn something. He made himself a prototype of. Do you understand that word? What did he say? Very clearly, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like, a prophet like, like, like Moses. That meant actually Moses had to be perfect because if I would prophesy, and he knew he was prophesying about Jesus Christ, that God will raise up a prophet like me. And if you listen what this prophet he was prophesying of was not just a prophet, he was the son of God. And there's one thing we must learn of Jesus more and more. And the earlier you learn it in your life with the Lord, the better it is. Now let's hear who this prophet was. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, and what? And what? Learn of whom? Learn of me, hallelujah. Of that prophet was Moses talking about? Yes, that's him. That's him. And what can we learn of Jesus? People want to learn how to perform miracles. I heard something very funny. Somebody said, oh, well, he is uh, visiting a Bible school or whatever, and uh, we learn how to make miracles. Pastor Gary, can you teach us about that? How to make miracles? No. What do we learn of Jesus? What do we learn of Jesus? And Jesus said it very clearly. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And what is the next word? I am gentle and what? Humble or low, lowly in heart. Actually, that's humble. What can we learn of Jesus? Very simple. Humility. Humility. When Moses says, a prophet like me, and here it says, he says itself, for I am humble or lowly of heart. If he made himself a prototype in one way of this prophet of the Son of God, he had to be at least what? Humble as well. Don't you think so? It makes, makes sense to my German thinking. It makes sense to you too. Then he must have been humble. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is speaking the prophet Moses was prophesying of. A prophet like me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moses was more a shepherd than a military field marshal. You understand it? We, we would think, okay, Moses, if you have to lead such a big people out of Egypt, half a million people, either you have to study politics or you have to study military things. You know, I'm not very strong on military things, but I know there's fighting in the kingdom of God as well. Not with flesh and blood, but that fighting mainly goes on here. You know what it means? On here, when I point here, what, what does it mean? Praying. They are the most important things. There are battles being fought on our knees. And if we pray, the Lord will answer, hallelujah. The Lord will answer. Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses. Moses didn't have a GPS in order to know where, where he should go. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. There was a Psalm 103, verse 7. Remember, and I want to conclude with this. Remember, Moses was the most humble person in the world. Let's read it in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. I want to conclude with that. And that's all by faith. And he looked at him who was unseen as if he saw him. 
that only faith can do that. Only faith can do that. Amen. Now let's read. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who is on the face of the earth. Do you read it here? He was humble, the most humblest man in the world. What did Jesus teach us in Matthew 11? Learn from me. Learn from me. I will show you how to work miracles, no? Learn from me. I am humble, lowly in heart. Is there enough to learn and a lesson like that? Amen. Father, thank you. Father, this word you gave to me. And I pray, Lord Jesus, let us work further on in every listener's heart. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Okay.